The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. This week was kind of special because we preached on Psalm 29 last week, and we talked about thunder and lightning and rain and downpouring and all that, and some of y'all got hit by it, right? Sunday after church, I heard that it was like this little local storm that hit some people, and, and, it, and it was so specific that some people were saying they're out shopping, they felt like I was the only one getting hit by rain. So this is personal testament to what God had spoken in his word. In fact, um, one of the verses we read, it says, the, glor- the God of glory thunders. And I heard a lot of, a lot of that on, fri- on Thursday and Friday, actually. I've uh, got a lot of rain where, where we were at, and it was just so fun to see that. So praise God for just that little confirmation from his word. Uh, let's say a word of prayer, and we're going to jump into, you can open your Bible to Psalm 65 this morning. God, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to come before your throne. God, thank you for being a God who cares about us. Thank you for being a God who knows every last little detail. God, thank you for the rain this last week. That was, that was a tremendous blessing, and, and it spoke to a number of people uh, just, just reminding us of, of your word and, and the God of glory who thunders. And just as your voice was speaking last week and through this week, God, today we know your voice is speaking. Your word is powerful. And so we yield our lives to you, God, and I pray, I pray that as we look at Psalm 65, God, it would truly enrich us and satisfy us because it's leading us to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I uh, had my birthday yesterday, and uh, because it was my birthday and it was a kind of a big celebra- celebratory deal, um, I was surprised this week on Wednesday when I stepped out of my little home office and I, I walked into the main area of my house, and I saw a gentleman sitting at my table. And from the distance, I couldn't really tell who it was exactly, and we've had a lot of salesmen living in a new built home, so I thought it was actually a solar salesman sitting at my table. (laughs) Praise God it wasn't. (laughs) Um, And it turned out to be my very best friend who lives out in California. My wife had surprised me uh, by having them come out and visit, and I was just undone. I said, turn off the camera, because I was about to lose it. I was just so overjoyed by uh, truly my best friend, and it reminded me, actually, of a story when uh, I was living in Southern California, and we were driving up to Oregon for him to marry his wife, and along the way, we stopped off at this diner that was, we weren't expecting to go there. We just saw it on the map, and it, the, the name of the diner was Heaven on Earth, this is kind of going to be interesting, right? And we walk in there. They're playing these old country hymns. And you get this, like, I just like one of the best, you know, little cups of diner coffee you ever had. The cinnamon rolls were about this big, I mean, bigger than your head. And, and the, the dining staff and the, the waiters and all that were so friendly. And I'm thinking, wow, truly this kind of feels like a little slice of heaven on earth. And it reminded me, uh, as I thought about that story, about our passage today, because truly Psalm 65 is pointing us to this idea you may or may not be familiar with, but the Bible calls it Zion, and we're going to dig into what that means, but really what this is is, a, is this, uh, this 
ever unfolding through scripture and then through time of, of this God who's coming to earth. And what happens when the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, actually visits where we are? Well, we see, of course, good things happen. And that's what we're going to see in this psalm today. So let's, let's focus our eyes in on Psalm 65, starting in verse 1. It says, There will be silence before you, and praise, here it is, in Zion, O God. Maybe your translation just says, There will be praise before you, O God. Well, this one says praise and silence. That's okay. Sometimes when we are silent, that's a form of praise. Sometimes we actually need to stop talking and listen into God. And that's very, much, um, that's very much that interaction that we have with God. And I know I struggle with that. I know that I can be a talker. I can just get down before, before God. I'm unloading everything that's on my heart, which is okay to do. But I have to remind myself sometimes, hey, give a little room for God to speak back to you. So this version right here says, there will be silence before you and praise in Zion, O God. And to you, the vow will be performed. Verse two, O you who hear prayer, to you all men come, iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you forgive them. How blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to you to dwell in your courts. He will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. Well, as I mentioned a moment ago, Zion, it, it unfolds through scripture, our understanding of what it is. Originally in the past, it was a city that King David and the Israelites had taken over and made it the citadel or the, or the you could say the capital of the land that God was giving him, the promised land. It came to be known as, and you'll be familiar with this, Jerusalem. And that was Zion. That's where the idea of uh, the, the earthly king would reign. But also, you know, under David's son, Solomon, they built a, a, a temple there upon the mountain that resides in Jerusalem. And you can see that today. And it became known as Mount Zion. It was representative of not only the, um, God's people ruling on earth, but even more so and even greater than that, it was always representative of God himself ruling on earth, and God wanting to be the one that all humanity looks to for, for uh, leadership, for provision, for peace, for all those things that we're going to see in Psalm 65. Well, it also points us to this millennial reign of Jesus Christ upon earth, and as to the timeline, there's some discussion about what that looks like. But again, the unfolding idea in Scripture is that it's ultimately pointing us to the heavenly city, heaven itself. That God will be with his people face to face for eternity. And that's an incredible promise right there. Yeah, uh, don't we look forward to that, right? I mean, it's like, I, we want that. We say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We want, we want your presence here. Right. And we'll dig in a little bit deeper on these first few verses because if, if, it's all about God's presence in Zion. So see it as right now we get little glimpses of his ruling and reigning on this earth here today. And it's just a little snapshot or a portrait of what's to come. God is faithful. If God said that he was going to return to earth, well, God means it. And he is coming. Jesus is coming. It's, it's imminent. It's going to happen. And we have to be ready for that. So here we are in Zion, O Lord. There is silence and praise before you. 
Psalm 87 says, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob or Israel. So we see this idea of if God had a favorite place on earth, it would point us to Zion. I thought it was San Antonio. Now, it points us to Zion. Why? Because he's trying to point us to a locale where we can see that there is a king who reigns above all of this. And he is interactive, and he is invested, and he wants his presence to be known. That's why in Psalm 48, it says, Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. Here it is. God in her palaces has made himself known. God wants to be known. It's oftentimes us who don't want to know God. Now, you might say, wait, hold on. I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to know God. No, I'm not saying theoretically. I'm not saying it's a good idea. It's just if we look at our schedule, do we spend much time devoting to God's presence? to get to know him, to spend time in his word, to spend time in prayer, to just say, here I am, O Lord. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's often times that we neglect that practice of his presence. Well, God doesn't. God remains faithful even if we're unfaithful. And God wants his presence to be known. And that's the whole idea that's going on in Psalm 65, verse 1 right here. And then on through verse 4. Zion is this idea of heaven touching earth. And I don't know what your idea of heaven is, but the Bible actually talks about it as not simply being an other place, although it is. It's the place where God dwells. But God has this overarching plan that when Jesus Christ returns, he's going to bring with him the end of all times, consume everything, wrap it all up, and then he's going to bring his kingdom to earth. So once again, just like we see in the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, where man and woman and God are dwelling in this perfect paradise with God, we see in the very end, God is restoring that kingdom upon earth. You see, because there's this simultaneous thing that Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus, Jesus ushered in this possibility that you and I can interact with God's presence. We can, we can have relationship with God, the Father, the creator of all things. We can experience a little foretaste of this kingdom that's coming. This, remember, heaven coming to earth right now, and we can do all that through Jesus Christ. You might say, why is that? Because Jesus is the king of kings. You're not going to get any higher than Jesus. That's why we ought to pray in Jesus' name. Why? Because he's the one who has authority over all these things. He's the one that has authority over my soul. He can decide where that's going. Well, I get this decision in that as well, but I'm simply just responding to his grace. When I yielded my life to Jesus, I said, you're the king. You're my king. You're the one that rules over my life. And I'm so happy I did that. Because look at what's happening in Psalm 65. We see this reality of God's presence in our life. Verse two, you hear our prayer. To you, O God, all men come. We're talking about this access to God. 
And really, when you talk about having a relationship with Jesus, if you've yielded your life to Jesus, you say, I want forgiveness. I want to surrender to you. I don't want to live for me. I want to follow you. And you put your trust in Jesus. You've got unlimited access to God. Any moment of the day, you can come to him and say, God, here I am. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this. I don't mean to brag, but my family has exclusive access to Six Flags Fiesta. Yeah, yeah, we do, we do. And you know, we, they, we paid a lot of money to get these six plastic cards. <laughs> and the only way those cards are really of value to us is if we walk through the gates and experience it. We go to where it is. And I see in verse one, it's interesting, it says, to you the vow will be performed you hear our prayer, all men come to you. And we'll get to verse three in a minute, skip over that just for a second. How blessed is the one whom you choose to bring near you, to dwell in your courts, will be satisfied with your goodness of your house, your holy temple. Look, this is all talking about going beyond the gates into this idea of Zion. Remember this heavenly city where God is reigning. You see, there's a way to get in there. There's an access point in there. Of course, we're gonna keep coming back to it. It's Jesus. No other way to the Father. There's no other way. If you want to know God, your Father, if you want to know God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, you have to yield to him. I surrender. My life is yours. Is there an amen out there? There ought to be for that, because that's the only way, right? That's the only way to have relationships. It's the only way, just like those little cards give us passes to Six Flags, that's the only way we're going to have access to this wonderful place. Well, it says, to you the vow will be performed. What is that vow? I believe the vow is talking about total devotion. It's talking about devotion to Christ. You see, when I've confessed, Jesus, you're my Lord, what I'm saying is, I don't trust me, but I want to trust you. Wouldn't you say the same thing about your life? Like, there's certain times, I maybe a good day, I might feel pretty good about myself, but I know that I am not consistent. I struggle with that, and so do you. Why is that? Well, because we need a Lord. We need a Savior. We know we make mistakes. We know we've sinned against God. You know you've violated your own moral, your own moral code, let alone God's perfect standard for your life. When I, was, when, I, when I was giving my life to Jesus, my conversion, you might call it, right? I said, you're the new leader of my life. When I was baptized, what does baptism mean? It means that, that my old life, I'm just, I'm dunking into that water, and I'm coming out to new life with you, Jesus. My life has now lived for you. That's right. what, what about church? What about my involvement in church? I'm saying, well, there's a new identity here. I'm not detached from the family of God. I have a new, my, my father is God. And now I have brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, a family of God, the family of the redeemed, those who've, who've made that same decision to follow Jesus, who've been baptized, and, and now we're together. Now there's an identity, an association, there's this newness. There's a devotion to you, God, to your church. And then Zion, to point us back to verse one again, what is this all about? Well, now I have a new citizenship. Yeah, sure, right now I'm, I'm temporarily on earth. There's a moment my life is gonna be over. I'm gonna pass, or Jesus is gonna return. One of those two realities is going to happen. I'm so thankful I have citizenship in heaven. Well, what does that look like? Well, I, look, my king rules there. 
Jesus rules there. Like, whatever he says goes. And what's, what's neat about that, too, is now my sinful past is completely gone. Completely gone. Because once this body gives out, I get a brand new heavenly body. And that thing's no longer at war with God. And like everything in me that says, yes, I know you're good, God. I want to follow after you. And then the things that hold me back from him, no longer will there be anything that holds me back from him. Full devotion. To you, the vow will be performed. Right? Everything I vowed to God in my life, totally performed. It, almost, almost like, I could almost say effortlessly, because now it's God's spirit just, just moving and do, doing, doing what God does, and wow, what a happy day, what a happy eternity that will be. Aren't you thankful, verse 2, God hears your prayer? Aren't you thankful you've got a God you can come to? All men will come to you. This is why, and I, I, I offended you a little last week. Well, the word of God offended you. Go back and listen to it if you want to be offended and you weren't here. Still, there's still time for that. Psalm 115 is also kind of offensive because here's what it says about every other lowercase g, God, on earth. Psalm 115 says, our God is in the heavens. There's the statement. Our God is in the heavens. He does as he play, pleases. Their gods... Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hand. He's, he's making a, a stark contrast between the God of the heavens, the God of the Bible, and every other God you can follow out there. Theirs are made by human hands. And it says they have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have ears, but they cannot hear. This is offensive if you apply it to our culture today because it, the Bible is saying unashamedly, there's one true God, not another. Every other God outside of the Trinity God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, don't get that mixed up, three persons, one God, right, revealed in Jesus Christ when he came to earth to live a perfect life, die on a cross for your sins, be buried so you know your sins are buried, and he resurrected. Only thing that came out of that grave, not your sins, praise God, hallelujah, Jesus came out of the grave. And he proved it to us through time because he came. You can look at, look at the archaeology. Look at the dig spots. Do a little research if you're, if you're still a little bit like, I don't know if I can trust in this stuff. Actually read the Bible. Pick it up. See what it says for yourself. You will find that it's the truth. There's one true God. That's it. And that's what the Bible's saying right here. So this whole idea of coexist and they're all basically the same religions and we can all just kind of, don't do that. Don't do that. Because what you'll end up doing in, in, the, in the name of kindness is you'll end up damning somebody else to an existence without the true God. I don't want that. And I don't want that for you. That's why I'm speaking so confidently about my God. And it's not mean. It's loving. Isaiah 60, verse 4, also talking about Zion, says, Raise your eyes and look about. They all gather and come to you. Isaiah got a vision of what Zion would look like. And he's not, he's not saying they're going to that God or that God or that God. He's saying they're all coming to you. So we will have to face God. Whether I die or Jesus returns, we will have to face him ourselves. The Bible clearly says, Hebrews 9, 27, It is appointed for man to die once. And then comes the judgment. 
praise God for all those who have given their life to Jesus. They call it the Bema Seat Judgment. It's actually a seat of mercy. It's actually a seat where God dwells and he says, hey, this one's mine. And sure, at that point, yes, all of our works will be judged. So we'll be rewarded for righteousness, the things that we did to honor God, and we will be judged. Thank you. <laughs> I'm getting a little help from you today. This is good. <laughs> judged for the things that we said, no, I won't follow you. I won't do that. And that's why we need God's grace. That's why we need him to make up our change. That's why we need him to clear that chasm for us. Because we can't get to God on our own. There's one God. To you, you hear our prayer, all men come. I was in a uh, Middle Eastern restaurant this last week, and there was a gentleman I got to talking to, just a little small talk. Found out he's a Muslim, kind of a nominal Muslim. And then he... he told me, you know, because we started talking about faith a little bit, and he said, uh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I said, yeah, you believe he was a great prophet, but I believe he was actually the Son of God, the Messiah, the one to come and save the world. And he said, oh, I'm not religious. I said, I know you're not religious. I, I, I could tell by the way he was talking. I said, but I want you to know this Jesus because he's changed my life. Now, that could come across offensive. Here, who am I? to tell a Muslim man that, no, Jesus is the way, he's God. Well, again, if we understand this gospel, we understand that God truly is a God of love. God truly does love that gentleman. And God did die on the cross for him. He just needs to receive it. He needs to know it. Somebody needs to tell him, right? That's love. Now all of a sudden, if he gets that, and if we get that, we've got a God who hears our prayer. We've got a God we can come to at any moment. And this is such good news because of verse 3. Look at verse 3. The next thought he says, All men come, iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you forgive them. Iniquities, you could call it inequality, there's a distance between my limited glory and God's ultimate glory. There's a gap there. So when I come to God and when you come to God, you probably feel it. You probably feel it like, wow, who am I to even talk to you? You might even feel like weighed down by guilt or condemnation or, or this feeling. You just like, you, just, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like when you come to God, it's like, ah, there's a, there's a gap between us because iniquities prevail against me. Notice how he says against me. So he's dealing with his own sin. He's not jabbing the neighbor next to him in church saying, you need to listen to this. He's looking inward and saying, it's my sin that put Jesus on the cross. But then he opens it up to everybody else who has a listening ear. This idea of Zion, God's presence, he's saying, but look at this, as for transgressions, you forgive them. As for our transgressions, you forgive them. So this guilt and the power it has over me, this sin that we have, we have failed God, we have rebelled against him, we have done things we know that have violated our conscience and violated the law of God, we know we've done those things. Here it says with confidence, because of God ruling and reigning, if he reigns,
reigns over your life. Again, I'm going to point you back to if you are walking with Jesus. Watch this. Let nothing hold you back from God's presence. No unworthiness. No secret sin anymore. Rid yourself of that stuff. Confess it. Get it out there. The Bible says if you confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then it says if you confess your sins before one another, you will be healed. Why hold on to that? Why let it limit you from actually stepping into God's presence? Get rid of that secret sin, that rebellion. Don't let that guilt hold you back. Don't let that worry hold you back. Don't let fear, addiction, nothing. Don't let anything hold you back from the presence of God in Jesus' name. I don't know if it's just I didn't get much sleep last night. I feel a little feisty up here, right? But it's good. This is good. Verse 4. How blessed is the one whom you choose. Hmm. Take that in and bring near to you to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with your goodness in your house, your holy temple. <sighs> Try to imagine it. Follower of Jesus, we are entering into the gates of Zion, the holy city. God's consuming presence come to earth and bringing his kingdom. It, we're walking through the gates. We're entering in to his courts. And, and, and we're able to go all the way into his house, his very temple, his sacred holy temple. We're actually able to be right there face to face with God. That's what it's pointing to in, in verse 4 here. Imagine yourself walking through there. And then we see in verse 4 it says, How blessed is the one whom you choose. How blessed. How glorious. How happy. How wonderful. When God chooses somebody. Now, I remember back to John chapter 11, the Gospel of John, there was a story where um, Lazarus, Mary and Martha's brother, had died. He was in the grave for some time, and then Jesus strolls in what seems like, at least according to our vantage point, like a day late and a buck short. But Jesus is confident. He actually intentionally delayed so that they would see that nothing is impossible with God. And he strolls into town... And there's this little interaction that happens. Martha says to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I believed you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. You're the one true God, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and she called her sister Mary, saying secretly, The teacher is here and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly. Jesus is calling for you. What do you do? The right response is to get up quickly. When you're hearing the word of God, and it's just it's resonating, something like you so there's truth to this, there's something to this, and you're leaning in, and the Spirit of God's drawing you. That means Jesus is calling you. And when he's calling to you, get up quickly. Do what it is that's going on in your soul to respond in obedience to what you've heard. Lest your heart be hardened or you forget over some good tacos at lunch. Right? 
that happens. We walk up out of this place, and if we don't have an intentional plan about responding to what God's Word says, it's very easy to order the enchilada and forget. Now we're just eating and going, how'd you like that message? Oh, it was good. It was good. What'd you get out of it? I have no idea. And that's not, I'm not, I'm not heaping any shame on you. I'm just talking about me after I preached last night. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's, oh, we got a soundtrack. Can you see that the door's closed, please? When God is calling you, get up quickly. Verse 5. Now we're moving from God's provision, I mean, excuse me, God's presence into his provision. We're going to see that in these, these subsequent verses. Verse 5. By awesome deeds you answered us in righteousness, O God of our salvation. You are the trust of the ends of the earth and of the farthest sea, who establishes the mountains by his strength, being girded with might, verse 7, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples. They who dwell at the ends of the earth stand in awe of your signs. You make the dawn and the sunset shout for joy. Verse 9. God, you visit the earth and cause it to overflow. You greatly enrich it. The stream of God is full of water. You prepare their grain, for thus you prepare the earth. Your water, water it furrows abundantly. It, you settle its ridges. You soften it with, with showers. You bless its growth. You have crowned the year with your bounty, and your paths drip with fatness. The pastures of the wilderness drip, and the hills gird themselves with rejoicing. The meadows are clothed with flocks, and the valleys are covered with grain. They shout for joy. Yes, they sing. Okay, we're going to have to move along here. Your awesome deeds. God, your awesome deeds. And it starts talking about creation right away. Oh, we talked about the sun, moon, and stars in Psalm 19. Last week, we talked about lightning and th thunder in, in Psalm 29. This week, we see the mountains, the seas, and the waves. Last week, many of us got to capture that billion, multi-billion dollar photograph from the Webb telescope. Well, the one, if you saw it, the, all the cloud dust and, and, and it looked like mountains and ridges and all that. From what I understand, from the bottom of the photograph to the top of what looks like a mountain ridge, but of course it's just stardust, right? From the bottom of the photograph to the top of the ridge, from what I understand, it's supposed to be seven light years. Seven light years. From space right there. A lot of space fitting into one photograph. His creation is declaring, right? The story, the, the, the wonder and glory of God. We see that. We've seen that over the last few weeks. His awesome deeds, verse 5. Answer us in righteousness, O God of our salvation. When we look at creation, we look at power. We look at strength. We look at confidence. We look at, wow, how did this get here? And then that points us back to our salvation. It points us back to, like I said last week, there's a safe place for our soul. Because we see it evident in his creation. We see the creator is trustworthy. He's reliable. He's strong. He's confident. He can carry us. Mountains are girded with might. Now, I remember back in college, we thought, we're going to try to move this rock up this mountain, right? It was a, little, it was a big boulder, 
and it took, I think it was four of us trying to move it. And he gets there, and finally it budges, and it rolls down the... And then it just rolls down this mountain, and it was in a remote place. There's no hikers or campers down there. And of course, we were like, gosh, the strength in that one rock, strength in that one boulder. And then we look at something. I mean, that's how, that's how, that's the altitude we fly in an airplane. There, pilot, because you're going to crash of earth. The mountains are girded with God's might. There's Verse 7 says, uh, You still the roarings of the sea. With the fire chief on the west side of town this last week, and he was saying that uh, he hit through, and he said where he was in two days, they got 55 inches of rain. That's insane. I looked at the damage today. I was just curious. It said there was $165 billion in damage when, when the sea just kind of hurled itself onto land, right? I, I mean, and, and here's God. He, he stills the sea. So we see this big mountain. He gives strength. He gives, he gives a, we looked at this a couple weeks ago when we talked about my, my God, my rock, my redeemer, right? We've got a safe place for our feet to stand in God. That's verse in life. God stills it. He stills these mighty seas. And then in verse 8, it's like, ah, okay, the sea is stilled, and now there's beautiful sunrise and sunset again. Thank you, Lord, for that. It's made by God. It's all made by God. And then verse 9 and 10, as we read through here, we see it says, when you visit the earth, God, hear the things, hear the words that pop out. You, it overflows. It's greatly enriched. Your streams, God, are full of water. Food we get to get at H-E-B, right? You prepare growth. Can't you see here? Zion's known to it. Then we could see that verse 5 through 13 is, wow, all of this stuff we enjoy, every good and perfect gift comes from the point he's making to round out the end of this psalm. Psalm 50 says, out of Zion perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Verse 11, the, still today in Israel they sing a song based on this. They sing this psalm. Um, they focus on verse 11 for the new year because it says you have crowned the year with your bounty and your paths drip with overflowing. I prefer my translation, your paths drip with fatness. I just think that's kind of fun to say. But whatever it is, abundance, overflowing, God, this idea of you're so generous, and you, you, you never lack. God, you always can meet our needs. You, you have everything we need. And then these last verses, the pastures of the wilderness. Try to look out in the pastures with him. They, they drip, the hills gird themselves with rejoicing. 
the meadows. Look out in the meadows. They're clothed with flocks. Look out in the valleys. They're covered with grain. And they shout for joy. Yes, they sing. Look at the end of verse 8. They shout for joy. Look at the end of verse 13. They shout for joy. You think God is dull? You think God is boring? You think, you think God, ah, just a, what a buzzkill? Ah, think again. God is glorious. He's mighty. He's wonderful. He's worth getting to know. He's worth devoting our life to, surrendering all to him. Because why? He surrendered all to us. And all these things we talk about in creation, you know, you and I don't deserve them. Do we really deserve our families? Do we really deserve our spouse and our kids? that he shares with us. Come on. We don't deserve this stuff. But we shout for joy. Who are we shouting to? Jesus. Yes. Thank you. I almost want to say, let's do it again. Yes. Yes. Because he's worthy. Hmm. He's worthy. Wow. Thank you, God. And I, you know, one more thing that comes to my mind. progressively through scripture. Start out with this little captured city and they turned it into Jerusalem. It's focusing this our attention to this location where Jesus is going to return and then he's going to he's going to fill the entire earth with our with his glory, with his glory, right? Um, you know, he set us out as Christians as followers of Jesus to go and fill the earth. And so I just want to say that the work that God does absolutely eternally significant and the work that he's placed in your life job is supposed to bring God's glory. The way, you, the way you treat your family brings God's glory. All these things in creation, including the purpose that he's given you, don't, don't, don't fail to see that they're all opportunities to shout for joy, to sing for joy, to show that God is worth following. Look what his presence has done in my life. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Thank you, God, so much for this, this timely word. Thank you, God, for the way it's resonating with your people this morning. Thank you, God, for the way that it's resonating in my life, God. Thank you, Father, for meeting us today. What would we do without you? God, for those who this morning are leaning in because they don't have a relationship with you, but they want one, well, God, we pray with them. God, forgive me. Forgive me of all my sin. Release me from that burden, God. I thank you for Jesus. I believe he came to earth. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he was buried and he rose again. I want to follow you. So God, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your presence, Lord God, that I could, I could know you. I could walk with you. This day, God, I give you my life. For the rest of us who have relationship with you, God, already, well, we just, we say, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all these great things that we enjoy. Thank you, God, that you're coming again. Jesus, prepare us for that. Let us be singing for joy when you return, as all of creation is giving glory and great honor to its God. It's in Jesus' name we offer ourselves to you. Amen.